Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hey folks, welcome to the podcast where we make data simple. Uh, we try to make everything simple for that, for that matter. Uh, perhaps uh, that's because the host is a simpleton. I'm not sure. <laughs> but the guests are geniuses. That, and speaking of a genius, I've got Priya Doty with me today. She's the vice president of product marketing at IBM. And I know we've had a lot of folks on that have been part of marketing, but I think we're going to get a different view today uh, from, from Priya. Uh, she represents IBM Z and Linux One. And as a quick pause, and then I'll come back to Priya, I mean, I think it's important to recognize as we talk about Z, um, you know, look, I, I try not to talk to a whole bunch of uh, products, but I, I got to say this about Z because it, it describes the importance of where it is in the industry. And that is two thirds of the banks on the world run on, on DB2 for Z. I'm going to talk about DB2 for Z here for a second. That's on Z. That's our database on Z. 100% of glo uh, global fortune 100 in banking and financial services, 21 of top 25 insurance companies, 90% of credit card transactions, 71% of Fortune 500 on Z. And there's a reason for this uh, because of, well, we'll talk about that as we go. Uh, but I think that sometimes Z can be viewed as le legacy. But what's funny is I think it's probably the most modern platform in the world. And DB2Z, by example, uh, the, the database, um, you know, it, it's, it's always out in front. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, but I'm with Priya again. Priya is... She's done a number of different roles. She was vice president of a consulting partner, Ogilvy Consulting. I know you were at CA for a while. You had two years um, working with Samsung. I mean, you've got a lot of different roles in your in your CV, so to speak. Why don't, why don't I let you introduce yourself for a moment, and then we'll go from there. I probably uh, ruined that, or I probably didn't do a very good job. <laughs> oh, no, you did a fine job, Al. Thank, thanks for that, and thanks for having me on your on your podcast here. So, yeah, um, like you said, I do have a, an interesting and varied background, but the one thing that has always connected all the threads is technology. So, you know, I actually started out as a developer in the world of uh, ERP and databases. Uh, started out, you know, coming out of college with an economics degree and used a precisely, I think precisely one of my courses was used on my first job, which was doing SQL database analysis and conversions. Wow. You can believe it. All right, so right um, in my alley. I like this. <laughs> that's right. Um, but, you know, as I went on and I, you know, expanded my functional skills, I went, you know, from a developer to becoming a uh, an expert in the telco space. And uh, today I find myself as an expert in both product marketing, brand marketing, and, of course, the IBM Z platform. Um and it's, I guess it's interesting because, you know, along the way, I've also spent time both with B2C as well as B2B. And, uh, you know, for marketers, those two types of industries are very, very different. Uh, but I will say, you know, when I started my career, technology was not as interwoven as it is today. You know, I can't think of any company, whether it's a B2C targeting consumer or a B2B targeting business that doesn't say that technology and data are a core part of their value proposition. I don't know if you can, Al, but uh, <laughs> I challenge you to find one that can say that. 
What do you what do you think is easier uh, from a marketing standpoint, B two C or B two B? Oh boy. <laughs> well, they they both have their challenges. You know, I think consumer. Um, you know, it's a, it's it's about getting inside the mind of the consumer and and finding that unique thing that's going to click. Uh, but the product is often a lot simpler. Um, so the the tricky part there is, you know, it, it's more about getting out and getting you know the consumer's imagination and pulling them in, and that's a, that's a hard art to master. Um, on the business side, it's uh, it's just there's a lot of grit involved, you know, and there's a lot of complexity, and and good complexity because business solutions are by definition integrated. And they are customized and they are complex. And so business marketing tends to require the ability to simplify the complex in order to get the message across. Um, and it's also very cluttered. It's also very competitive. I'd imagine from B to B to C, though, you get more immediate feedback. I mean, look, I don't know marketing. You're, but whereas B to B, there's more work to identify what's working, what's not. But that may not be the case. What are your thoughts? Well, you know what, you're absolutely right. And in fact, you know, on the B2C side, I will say, if, if you launch a product or a service, and the consumer doesn't like it, or there's an issue with it, you're going to know about it right away, right? You're going to know about it because your sales aren't doing well, or you're going to be getting calls into your customer service center. And it's something where, essentially, you're getting that feedback immediately. Um, and then, of course, you've got social media to contend with as well. And on the B2B side, finding those data points, you know, it, you know, was our software successful? Was our hardware successful? Are clients adopting it? What are their challenges? You got to really pull that data out of the of the client and, and really seek it. It doesn't come seeking you. Yeah, that's what I'd imagine. So look, you, you just got through saying you've worked on both consumer and business brands. What do you think unites all of these brands? Well, data, of course. Yes, the answer <laughs> <Data>. that was... <laughs> <laughs> No, but kidding aside, I mean, it's, it's truly, it's true, right? Because um, you can think of data in terms of its use in uh, determining at, at every stage of a product development life cycle, right? From identifying what a concept could be to... Uh, you know, choosing the design to testing the design and then to understanding its success in the market. It's all about data. Um, and I think that's that's true of consumer and of business. Uh, and, and increasingly, data is a product as well in, in, of its own right, right? Data can be uh, something that's packaged and sold to, you know, to businesses, to consumers. Uh, one thing that you said before we move on, I want to go on to this blog here in a minute, but one thing you said that uh, your focus has been on privacy and security. Does that still hold true? And why is that? It, it does. And, and, the, and the reason is because, you know, as we look at the, you know, the world of IBM, I think, you know, we're in a unique position where uh, we have the ability to uh, play a trusted advisor for our clients and for the data that they hold. And so for us, um, particularly in the Z and Linux One business, privacy and security are really critical to the way we think of the platform and are, you know, a core value prop of what we're trying to build. So we're always looking to understand, you know, 
how do people think about data privacy and security and not just the technical aspects, but also, you know, what are they thinking from a, a you know, my day job or my, my day life, right? And, and how is it affecting them and how can we better help them? Yeah, makes sense. So you, you wrote, you've written this blog, it's called the new, the new normal blog. And it's a new normal, well, the new normal blog using five lessons learned from the global survey you did with a, with the Harris poll. I wanted to walk through that. I think that when was that posted yesterday or the day before this is, um, December 3rd. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. So I think anybody can, if you're listening right now, go out there and, and Google the new normal. Uh, by Priya Doty, and, and you should be able to find this. So walking through this, well, I mean, let's let's just hit at the title. What are the five areas that you you know you 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 researched, and um, can you elaborate on those five areas? Yeah, sure. So um, this is this was actually a lot of fun, um, really, to to get this data. So what we did is we commissioned a survey across eleven thousand consumers in eleven countries. And we had coverage across pretty much every, you know, every large country you can think of. And what we wanted to find out was their attitudes around data privacy and security and, uh, and really understand more about what they expected of companies who's, you know, who were holding the data that they, that they gave them, right? So that was really the objective is it wasn't a very long survey, but it was we were trying to understand what consumers believe and then, you know, related to the business world and the business climate, what are their expectations of businesses when it comes to their data privacy? If, if, I, if I'm going through this, yeah, I know it was like uh, you went through 11 countries, 11,000 respondents. I mean, it's like every country, I mean, Australia, Brazil, China, I won't go through them all. And the five lessons learned the first one, it says consumers have often been the victim of a data breach. That's uh, right. 57% of consumers on average have either had their personal data compromised or know someone who has. So that shocked me a bit. You know what else shocked me, by the way? We've got a GM called Ross Morey here at IBM. He said he has been personally breached <laughs> 12 times or something. How does that happen? Is he serious? He he must be, and I, I have to say he's probably bucking the average, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, how, I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> I mean, twelve times. I get it. You look, I get the sixty percent of at least having once, but he's been twelve times. It's like they're stalking him. That's right. That's right. And so sixty, you know, about sixty percent on average, and then of course there's variations by country. But you know, you look at that and you say, wow, that means. 60% of people are saying that they've they've been a victim of a data breach and it's in a way it's become a new normal, right? And uh, and then you say, well, okay, well what does that mean if I'm a if I'm a business information security officer, if I'm a chief information security officer, if I'm somebody who's in, you know, responsible for security? I mean, I think what it means is that you have to assume that the majority of your customers are telling you that they understand they will be breached. Right. It's not a it's not if it's when. Yeah, that's the worry about today, which leads to the number. The, the second one is customers are savvy. They know their data is being shared by third parties. Uh, it, it did a study. It said something like seven out of 10, you say here, uh, are aware that their data is being shared. I mean, th this th this is 
you know, I've talked about this in previous podcasts. Many people are uh, concerned about the Terminator coming over. I'm concerned about all the data that's that's swapping hands and, you know, what that's going to mean for our, our, our future. It feels like we have no control. We don't. And that's exactly what consumers are saying. I mean, they realize that the seven, you know, seven out of 10 are saying uh, that they are aware their data is being shared. And in fact, 80% of them are saying that they believe they've lost, if you can believe this, they've lost all control over their data and how, and not just their data, but their personal information and how it's being used by companies. And so it, that is the new normal. I mean, we, we hand over our data, we hand over our PII, um, fully knowing it's, it's a you know, chaotic world out there and we don't know where it's going. Yeah, but then you go to the, the third one. This is this is pretty, you've done a nice job here because it's it, it's sequential. Then, but customers do expect data privacy. H- how is that balanced with? Look, we have no control, and but we still expect the data privacy. It feels like we're all in this this tug of war. The other challenge that like I have, I mean, like, and again, I've talked about this on previous podcasts as well. It, it feels like it's. It's inevitable. It's like you, you, you lose. The reason we feel like you lost this control is like an example is DNA. If I get, if I say, you know, I am not sharing my DNA. I am not going to do this 23andMe deal. You know, 23andMe. Oh sure, yeah. But if if my father does it, <laughs> then they've essentially got my ID, DNA. That's I mean, right. I, I kind of feel like the data gravity is 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 taking that control from us. So I mean, we expect. Uh, number three was we expect that privacy. And number four was we expect more accountability. What do you expect, I guess, Priya, technology to do for us to help us protect that data? Yeah. So, you know, what it is, is if you, I think if you start with the premise that, uh, you know, that consumers understand that they're being breached, they understand that their data is being shared, but they also value data privacy and they value, you know, like you said, Uh, the ability to control their data. Um, I think as technologists, we have to plan for those inevitabilities. And that means we have to start with, you know, there's there's kind of two notions here. There's the concept of data uh, protection, and then there's the concept of data privacy, right? And so privacy is more about the personally identifiable information and the policy you're putting in place to support it. Um, and data protection is more sort of the overall, you know, technical capabilities you have to protect and encrypt and support all of your data. So I, I think it's a little bit of both. But what's happening as technologists is that we have to be able to automate and stay ahead of a lot of these security threats that we're that we're facing, both insider threats uh, as well as as well as other sorts of threats, because. Uh, that is what consumers are expecting of us, right? The consumer is becoming more and more sophisticated. And so, yeah, they understand their data is flying all over the place and they've lost control of it, but now they're ratcheting up their demands of what they expect the company to do for them. Which would lead us to number five, which is saying, hey, customers are willing to share more data if they feel like they have control of their data. So I guess the, the, the million dollar question is here, you do the, the marketing today for, uh, for Z and Linux One. Uh, what, is, what is IBM doing about it? 
Yeah, so IBM, I mean, we're listen, we're we're a large company. We're doing a lot about it, right? And if you look at our platform and our business, you know, we actually launched something we called pervasive encryption two years ago. And pervasive encryption was about taking, you know, essentially being able to encrypt any data that sat on our platform uh, and do it in a way with an incredibly low overhead and in a way that was, you know, led by the hardware where it really required no changes to your application code. So we were trying to make it as painless as possible. Um, And, you know, the idea took off and what we then said to ourselves was how could we challenge ourselves to take that level of security that we had offered that was really designed for the Z platform and for the data graph, you know, the data that sits in the Z world, um, all those stats you, you mentioned at the beginning of the call, the, mm-hmm. the credit card transactions, the, you know, and, and other kinds of companies that are running Z. I mean, these days, Z is, uh, you know, Z's out there and numerous kinds of companies. And I would say, We've got uh, new clients that are bringing on digital assets, uh, custody solutions on the Z architecture with Linux One. We've got blockchain companies that are out there uh, using Linux One. Even IBM's cloud is using Linux One. So what we said to ourselves was, how are we going to take this encryption concept and apply it to this next generation of things that are, you know, data being now not just in the Z platform, but anywhere in a cloud? Um, and that's what we announced uh, a couple months ago with encryption everywhere, which is essentially taking that same type of encryption, that concept of, you know, controlling the policies that you set for this very sensitive set of privacy, you know, data, personally identifiable uh, data, uh, use, being able to apply that policy anywhere the data goes in your organization or even into the cloud. Well, what does that really mean when you say encryption anywhere? Because I know the folks that are probably listening, they're thinking, so how the heck you're going to control data that flows off-premise into like a third party or something? Yeah, I mean, so it's encryption everywhere. And um, and listen, I'm not the technology expert, but what we announced was a technology called data privacy passports. And basically, uh, you know, it takes the data set that is, uh, you know, has been determined to be a sensitive data set and it wraps that data set into what's called a trusted data object. That trusted data object is then, you know, controlled through a layer of software that can manage the policy and manage the amount of access and even revoke access uh, once that data leaves your platform. So that that's kind of how it works behind the scenes. Very good. And by the way, could you explain Linux One for those that may not know of Linux One, what it is? Of course, yeah. So in Linux One is a basically an enterprise platform. It's a it's a server that runs the Z architecture. So it's you know that high security, high scale value prop that uh, we offer to the Z customer base. The key difference being that it runs in an all Linux environment. So it's an open platform, uh, and it it means that uh, it appeals to any sort of customer, including you know, and anyone from a brand new startup to a company that's been around for hundreds of years. Any software that is supported on Linux essentially is supported on Linux One? That's correct. Yeah, we support multiple Linux distributions, including, you know, SUSE, uh, Canonical, and of course, Red Hat. So I presume the, the, the attraction there is you get all the benefits of Z, whether that be a uh, 
uh, quality, stability, uh, high availability. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, again, like I said, I think we're getting, you know, interest from there's a lot of companies out there right now that I think are, are going out and starting entirely new businesses, right? There are companies in the fintech space and the blockchain space, um, you know, healthcare, manufacturing, and many of them have really high security requirements. And they also have the ability or the need to be able to scale, you know, at a very high level of security. And that's, I think, the sweet spot for Linux One, uh, where we're finding those types of clients and those types of use cases uh, coming into that platform. I feel, so thank you for that. I feel like um, one one thing I try not to do on the podcast is uh, advertise products, but I don't know how not to talk about <laughs> Z. And, and, and on the other hand, yeah, I don't know that... Um, you know, why I should hold back. I mean, I, I, I do want to talk about Z for a bit because you just released Z15 on, on new hardware as well. What are some other goodies that that you get out this this new release? I mean, I think a lot of people listening say, oh, Z's been around for a while. What the hell else could they put on that platform? Uh, but oh, there's boy. a ton of stuff. There's a ton yeah. of stuff. Yeah, let's see. Some, like, I, it's definitely, there's a lot of goodies. I mean, we talked about the sort of the data privacy aspect of things. And we talked about, uh, uh, you know, some of that. But I think that in addition, a couple that come to mind that are pretty cool, uh, you know, there's a new compression capability uh, that basically makes it so that, uh, what was the stat we used? Um, so if you took all of the books ever published, which we think we, we estimated was about 129 million books, Mm -hmm. And you were to compress all of those on the new chip that sits inside the Z15. Can you guess how, mu how much time it would take you to do that? I have no idea. <laughs> a long time. I would <laughs> a imagine long a long time. time. Yeah. 129 million, million. An hour, two hours? I don't okay. know. Four minutes. Four minutes. That's fantastic. And, and I know I, you, I do, I couldn't remember what it was. I had heard some of that before. And you, you also got some other st stats that make you kind of uh, shudder a bit. Um, can you talk to any of those? I mean, just some. Yeah, I mean, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, think that, that's one. That, that's one that's fun. I think um, the new uh, capability we have for doing in-transaction analytics, uh, you know, real-time analytics, of course, you know, the DB2 uh, and, and sort of reducing the latency required for analytical and operational processing. That's another goodie. Um, and then if you just look at the chip itself, you know, that that's where you can find some real fun stuff, right? So the chip itself has over 9 billion transistors in it. So I like to say that's more than the number of people in the world. <laughs> that is amazing. Though, yeah. Are we um, hitting limits now? I mean, look, I know you're not the, t you're the marketing piece, but it seems like we're, we're hitting physical limits at this point in time. I mean, 9.2 billion transistors. How many more are you going to put, put another 9 billion on there? <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that for the, for the folks back in the engineering department to sort out. Um, but what I can say is that they've also told us that all of that power, um, you know, allows us to be able to say that we can do, you know, again, this is, a, this is a crazy number if you think about it, but 1 trillion web transactions a day, which is just outrageous. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Wow. Um, got it. So look, is there anything around Z or uh, Linux One that we've not mentioned that you want to make sure is stated? No, I think you got it covered. 
<laughs> Good. All right. Well, I got. I'm not done yet. So so don't <laughs> don't leave me yet. You can't get out of here if you listen to any of my podcasts. So I got to talk a little bit about you here. The first question I have then is, by the way, before I do, we will put the links to your blogs in the in the notes section um, in in the show notes. But um, how did you get into marketing? I noticed you, you didn't you start in econ- economics and now you're in marketing for a very high tech field. You got to tell me how that path developed. I mean, what, what, what was the attraction to marketing? You know, <laughs> right. Um, well, actually, the path was always technology. So, you know, I, yes, I had an economics degree, but um, but I got into technology and I started out, like I mentioned, as a developer. And um, as I started getting into things, I found that I really enjoyed the intersection of the consumer and the customer and technology and understanding, you know, how technology made people's lives better or different or changed their day-to-day business climate. And so that path kind of led me towards a marketing career. That's that's really what happened. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, so we're yeah. going to continue on with the get to know Priya Doty. This is your life. So um, do you exercise a lot? And the reason I ask that is because we were both at a conference and I caught you in the hallway and you said, oh, I just got through exercising. It's pretty early in the morning. I think that <laughs> That's day right. I had skipped and I felt like very guilty, but I, and, and I, but I was impressed. I'll tell you why I was impressed in a minute, but do you exercise a lot? Is that your daily routine? I try. Yeah, I try. Every other day is my goal. Every other day. What, what, in, what uh, impressed me is that uh, you said, I only got 10 minutes in but I got 10 minutes in or something like that. And the beauty of that is I've got a problem. It's like, if I don't feel like I can get that full 30, I say to hell with it. I need, <laughs> I need, I need to change that mentality. You got to get what you get. So it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you take what you get and go with it. So uh, I think yeah. you talked and I said, all right, I'm going to start doing that. No, listen, I, I ran. So, okay. So when I was running a lot, I ran a marathon, but mm-hmm. I tried to run that marathon one year and I failed. And the reason I failed is because I got, you know, you get those training schedules. Yes. And I got a real, you know, I got the, the one that was a, probably a little bit beyond my capability. So I got this like medium level training schedule. And of course, right out of the gate, you know, week three, I was failing to meet the, <laughs> the goals of the training schedule. <laughs> yeah. So you ditched it or what? Well, I, I think I ended up injuring myself and I was out. So the, so the next year when I went back to try to do that race, um, I said, okay, you know what, that, that, that advanced training schedule really didn't work. So I'm going to get the, you know, the, the basic, basic training course. And if I can at least do that, I should be good. And I did it. And so that was, that was my lesson. You know, sometimes it's just, sometimes we overshoot. And if you can just do a little bit, you know, you, you win the marathon in the end, or you end the marathon at the end, I should say. Got it. 1% every day, just a little bit better. Just a little bit. I got it. So outside of family uh, or something personal, what are you most proudest of from a professional standpoint? From a professional standpoint? Yes. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, well, let's see. Um, it's uh, I think it's just been really neat to work on some really uh, you know amazing brands throughout my career and uh, to see the impact that they have on people's lives. You know, I've been a part of the Verizon organization when the iPhone was launched and, you know, you couldn't go to a party without people asking you about how to use your iPhone. And that was kind of fun. Um, I've worked with Samsung when Samsung was launching the, you know, the big galaxy and, Uh and the galaxy was a thing. And it's, it's, you know, it's very big 
product, certainly worldwide. Um, and now at IBM, you know, you see, you just see the impact of what we do uh, in terms of business, you know, what we run, um, the kind of R&D we have. And, and that's what else always gets me up at, in the morning is seeing the impact that we have on people's lives. What are you curious about right now? What's, what's got you intrigued? Ah, quantum. Quantum. Do you <laughs> when, understand it? Because I'm still No. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, it's a, the question, the, the thing that's got me curious about quantum is when, right? When does it hit? Yeah, that's, I, 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 I thought I'd ask you, but apparently you don't have that answer either. No, I don't think anybody does. <laughs> I know they're using it actively today, but it's, it's still a when, when it's really going to you know, come to fruition. I get it. So if you could interview anybody that's, uh, that's living or dead, uh, anybody, who would it be and why? Thomas Pinchon. All right. That, that came out pretty quick. <laughs> So why is that? Well, he's famously reclusive. So he's a he's a writer. For those of you who don't know, um, he's a famous recluse. In fact, he once appeared on the Simpsons episode with a bag over his head. Um, so, <laughs> but he's written some pretty outrageous and and nutty things. And I would love to hear more about how he comes up with his ideas and and really what his process is. All right. I've always got like a couple weird questions here. What was the last gift you gave somebody? Oh, well, I, I'm probably going to ruin this Christmas gift, but I, <laughs> <laughs> but I made a donation uh, for a Save the Tiger Foundation this oh, morning wow. for someone. Yeah. And wh- why wh- is that? It must be important to somebody that's important to you or? Yeah, it was important to them. They're, they're into the whole tiger safari thing and tigers are uh, protected or I should say they're, they're threatened as a species. Their ecosystems are being uh, destroyed and, and threatened. And so this organization has decided to try to find ways to protect tigers and, re- you know, to increase their population over the next 10 years by 50%. Nice. That was, that was pretty quick response there. Nice. Yeah, it was that top of like mind. Planned, which it wasn't, I promise you. Yeah. So what do you work for in your free time? And what's your, what's your fun thing to do? I mean, what do you love to do? Ah, what I love to do, uh, just honestly, just relax, enjoy, enjoy life, spend time with family. Uh, that more than anything, that's, that's what I get uh, recharged by. Since you mentioned the author, um, is there any favorite book that you recommend to those that are listening? Oh, boy. <laughs> no, I, I really couldn't only because everybody has their own, you know, people have their own, uh, own tastes. And, and I think you have to respect that. So I, I don't think there's any book that I would specifically recommend. All right. Fair enough. Where do you go to learn? I mean, where do you, you from a marketing standpoint, you got to learn all these technologies, you know, leave it to development for the most part, but you got to learn what's capable of, you know, in, in push development, make sure that they're, they're uh, owning what they say, that kind of thing. Uh, where do you get your material? Uh, so a gentleman by the name of Seth Godin, great thought leader, He's got a podcast. He writes books. Nice. Um, very interesting guy. Had a chance to meet him briefly a couple of years ago. Uh, but uh, I, I like to read him because he's always got some nice practical advice. Well, that's a good suggestion. All right. Yeah. I got to end with one little game. All right. Okay. All right. It's called Would You Rather? So it's either this or that. In other words, you got to pick one of these or the other. You can't be on the fence. They're not going to be easy. That'd probably be easy. But anyway, I'm trying not to make them be easy. 
So you got to, in other words, if you're on the fence, you got to go through one or the other. So what's more important, data privacy or data security? Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, I'm going to choose data privacy. Any reason? Uh, Yeah, because I think at the end of the day, that's what matters most to the consumer. All right, good. Product quality or protecting data? Protecting data. Compression or pass- data passports? Data passports. <laughs> it's all around about data for you. I that's right. That's right. All right. Quantum, I, I know the answer to this now because you walked right into it, I think. Well, we'll see. <laughs> quantum computing or blockchain? Oh, definitely quantum. Hybrid cloud or on-prem? Okay, this is beginning to feel like a uh, an eye chart here, Al. <laughs> okay, hybrid cloud or on-prem? Uh, I'm yeah. going to go with hybrid cloud. All right, here's a tough one. Z or Linux One? Oh. ZOS <laughs> or Linux One? ZOS or Linux One. Okay, uh, I'm going to choose ZOS. All right, all right. MIT or Nor- Northwestern? MIT. So you went to both, right? I did. And you're I choosing did. MIT? You just diss Northwestern? <laughs> That's well, listen, what this is about. Oh, boy, I had to choose, right? I didn't yeah, get you a choice. Did. You, you are playing by the game rules. I like it. Very nice. Um, exercising with colleagues or without colleagues? Oh, with colleagues. Really? Yeah. Because we talked about this in that it's kind of awkward sometimes when you're going to an event, whatever, and there's other colleagues there and you're getting up in the morning, that kind of stuff. But then I remember you also said you worked at a place that uh, – that that was commonplace, and so it became natural for you just to exercise with colleagues. All yeah, good. yeah, I, I prefer it. I mean, I used to go running out every after work every day with a colleague, and it was it was like the best hour just to relax. All right, hey, thank you for for playing along. Uh, you've given us a lot of information uh, around uh, Z Linux One, etc. We'll put all this information in the show notes. Again, I appreciate you you being here and um, and uh, giving us uh, your expertise. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course, Al. Thanks. That was uh, really fun to do it. And uh, best of luck with this. This is a really uh, neat podcast. Yeah, we're doing all right. We're, we're enjoying it. Like I said, as long as I have fun, then, then, then it'll, it'll continue to go on. Hey, uh, everybody listening, speaking of, thank you so much for, for listening. Uh, you can always reach out, as always, Al, almartintalksdata at gmail.com. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, we'll see you on the podcast. Thank you all. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out. Oh.